work on my role as dad. And I don't know if you've been in a situation like that, but that's, that's surely not what he was planning to say when he entered into grad school four years prior. Uh, he didn't go through that thinking at the end of this, I, I, I'm not gonna know what I'm gonna do, uh, and, we're gonna, and we're gonna move home. And for some of you, that, that might be your worst nightmare. It's certainly not, not a situation we would desire. Uh, we don't desire admitting weakness, uh, much less at a moment where we're thinking we're going to be celebrated. Uh, we don't like doing that publicly. We're going to read a passage from Exodus 3 and 4 in a moment, and we're kind of parachuting in. I realize you all have been doing meals with Jesus, and now we're going back into the Old Testament. Uh, but w- where we're at in Exodus 3 and 4 is that uh, the Israelites, who are not even the Israelites yet, they're just known as the Hebrews, are living in Egypt. And they're living as slaves. And they've grown in population tremendously. So much so that, that Pharaoh and the Egyptian rulers have said, we've got to do something about this. These people are growing way, way too fast, way too big. Uh, and so they begin... Uh, practicing genocide. They actually begin murdering all all the Hebrew firstborn sons. And in the midst of that, God raises up a leader named Moses, protects him. Moses grows up in the house of Pharaoh. He's adopted by one of Pharaoh's daughters, is raised up in that house. Finally, at the age of 40, he realizes what God is calling him to do and he sees the way his people are being treated. Um, and he sees one of them getting beaten. And he, and he goes out and tries to save them and ends up killing a man. And so now he's gone from privileged upbringing in the household of Pharaoh to a man on the run. He's a wanted criminal, a wanted murderer. And at the age of 40, he leaves Egypt. He leaves the household of Pharaoh and goes to his father-in-law's house in Midian. And is there for 40 years. We're told in Acts 7, he leaves at the age of 40. And then after 40 years is when we pick up in this passage. Moses is not living the life he thought he was going to be living. God heard the cries of the Hebrew people, was raising up a leader. Moses thought that was going to be him. And now he's a man on the run... He's wanted in his, in his homeland, and he can't go back, and he's been living, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, and he's almost 80. And he didn't think he's been called to this amazing role. He, he thought he was going to be a leader amongst his people. He thought he was going to be helping rescue them. This is not the life Moses thought he was going to be living. And yet it's at this moment that God actually meets Moses. Before Moses will do anything amazing for God or for anyone else, God meets Moses when he's weak, when he feels incapable, when he feels unworthy. And God will reveal his holiness to Moses. And he'll humble Moses in order that he might actually use and send Moses. And so we're going to look at this passage this morning uh, under three headings. What does it look like to meet God? Uh, It reveals 
God's glory in our weakness. It will show us God's faithfulness. And it will equip us to live in this world. So let me read for us, starting in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of God appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Then then God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, and Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and a land flowing with milk and honey. Then picking up in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses ran from it. But the Lord said, Moses, put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside the cloak. And when he took it out, it, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. 
If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on dry ground, and the water that you, take, that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But, but he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He will speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us alone in this world uh, to figure out what it looks like to relate to you or to follow you. Lord, but you've given us your word. And so this morning we pray that you would take it and plant it deep into our hearts that we may know you more and love you more. We ask all this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. We've probably all been intrigued at one point or another as to what it would be like to meet God. You see instances of this in Scripture where, where someone gets to see God like Moses does here. Maybe it's in the form of the burning bush or the Israelites got to see him as a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night or to see uh, God like Isaiah does. Uh, there is a common theme uh, when this happens, uh, and, and you see it here in, in verses 5 and 6, M Moses sees this burning bush, and out from that bush, God calls to him. And if you look at verse 5, uh, Moses is afraid. He's on holy ground, and, 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 and God says, take, take off your sandals. The, the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. And then in verse 6, we read that Moses is afraid. He's seeing God in this bush, and God's calling out to him. Uh, and Moses is immediately confronted with a lot of things. He's confronted with the holiness of God. This is not like other things in the world. God is appearing as a fire. Fire is untamable. And not only that, it's this fire that's appearing in the bush, but the bush isn't burning and God calls out to him from this bush and says, stop the ground you're standing on, which is, is holy ground. Moses is confronted like in crystal clear HD. God is holy and righteous and I am not. And he's scared. He knows he's in the presence of something good and holy and righteous and that he is not those things. Uh, when my wife and I were first married, after seminary, we lived in Tennessee uh, for a few years, and there was this farm uh, on, the, on the road from our house into Nashville, 
and uh, they raised sheep. And it was early spring, and these new lambs were born. And, you know, the, the grass was really green. And so you could see uh, the older sheep, and then you could see the lambs. And the lambs, like, almost sparkled in, against the backdrop of, like, lush green grass. It was beautiful. And it was always one of my favorite things to drive by in the spring. And then one year, we got a late snow. And, you know, those lambs seemed so pure and white. But I remember that morning driving by that farm right after a fresh coat of snow. And the lambs that appeared had appeared so, like, clean and bright and pure against green grass and, and compared to the other sheep. Now you were able to notice really easily because they were against something that was pure white. They stood out. All of a sudden, their dirt was exposed. And in the same way, Moses here is in the presence of God, and he's exposed, and he's afraid. And this is, this is the common reaction in, in Scripture when people meet God face to face. In Job 42, Job meets God. In verse 5, he says, Behold, I've seen you with my eyes. And he says, I despise myself. Now that I've seen you, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When, I see, when Isaiah sees God in Isaiah 6, what's his reaction? He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. There's this common theme throughout Scripture that when we see God as he truly is, we are confronted with his holiness and our uncleanness, our unworthiness. And that's a good reminder for us that, that we, we will know that we have met the true God, the God of the Bible, when we see that he is not like us. We'll know we've met the God of the Bible when we actually see our sin and continue to see our sinfulness and his goodness and his righteousness. We'll know we've met him when we see that he is not like us, that we are unclean, or as Paul writes in Romans 3, that we fall short of his glory. That's the God Moses meets in this passage. And yet this God that is holy and untamable is also the God, as we read in verse 7, who hears the cries of people who are sinful and who are not like him. Look at verse 7 in chapter 3. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. We have a God who is holy, and yet he hears the cries of his children, and he knows their sufferings. And he says in verse 6, and he'll repeat it again in chapter 4, he hears them, he hears their cry, and he says, I am the God, I, I am your God, the God of your father, Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That, that, that's something God repeats often in the Old Testament. And, and, we, and our connotations to think, oh, that's, that's his way of reminding Moses who he is. Like, hey, you've probably heard, maybe, maybe it was when you were much younger, 
But you, you may have heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, like your descendants. Ancestors, not descendants. Uh, I'm their God. And oftentimes we think of that as a reminder, but it's also, it, it is that. It, it's a reminder of God's faithfulness throughout generations, but it's also a reminder of who God is a father to. God is a father to people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those people did amazing things for God. They're also huge messes. Abraham constantly doubted God's ability and goodness. He always wanted to take control. He sold his wife into slavery on two occasions. Isaac shows favoritism, creates all sorts of generational issues in that family. Jacob is this thief. He's a deceiver. And God is showing up to Moses and saying, I'm the Lord and I'm the God of those people. And I'm the God of your father. And I'm here to deliver my people. I'm that kind of God. That's the God I am. I'm holy and righteous. And I hear the cries of sinful people. You can imagine at this time, this is probably pretty encouraging for Moses. Moses has been living in exile for 40 years. He's 80 years old at this point. I think I often forget. Moses leaves Egypt when he's 40. He's acting as a shepherd for 40 years. And, he's, and, he, and God comes to him and shows up. I've heard the cries of the people of Egypt. And Moses is probably thinking, great, I saw that firsthand. It was horrible. And I'm going to deliver those people. Great. The part where Moses begins to disagree with God is when Moses says, when God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Look at verse 10. He says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Immediately after, Moses starts disagreeing with God. Uh, he's excited that God wants to deliver his people, but now God is, wants to use him. Verse 11, but Moses says, God, who am I that should go out to Pharaoh? You know, M Moses will go on to do some amazing things for God. God will work through Moses in some remarkable ways. Isn't it amazing to know that Moses was also chronically insecure and actually doubted God's ability to use Moses? He, he wasn't sure that God could actually or even want to use someone like Moses. He's not living an impressive life. He's been living in exile with his father-in-law, tending to sheep, not living kind of like the, the, the life that he thought he was going to be living, one of power, influence. He's not there. And yet God wants to use him. And immediately Moses starts rattling off all these reasons why that is not a good idea. Verse 11, who am I that you, that you would want to use me? Uh, verse 13, what am I supposed to tell them? You want me to go to Pharaoh? Like, what will I say to him? What will I tell the elders of Israel? Chapter 4, verse 1, what if they don't believe me? It, hey, that's a reasonable thing. You've been gone for 40 years and God is talking to you? Yeah, that, that's a reasonable excuse by Moses. Yeah, what if they don't believe me? Chapter 4, verse 10, I've never been eloquent. Chapter 4, verse 13, finally, please send someone else. He gives them all these reasons and finally just begs them, 
God, please use someone else. God is showing Moses his inability. And Moses is seeing that firsthand. And he's sharing that to God, how unworthy he feels. And, and how does Moses hear from God? How does God respond to Moses? Every step of the way, God reminds Moses who he is. Verse 11, who am I that I should bring the children out? Verse 12, I will be with you. Moses asks, what should I say when they ask me who sent me? Tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. Moses says, I'm not adequate. Uh, I'm not eloquent. Uh, and, and the amazing thing about this is that every step of the way, when, when Moses raises an objection about how weak he is and how like, unworthy he is, God doesn't just sweep that under the rug. He just he doesn't, he doesn't say, no, 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 you are. He just says, look at me. Every step of the way when Moses objects with how weak he feels, God says, yes, but I am. He directs Moses' gaze off of himself and onto him, onto the God who can redeem. He feels weak. He feels insufficient. And God reminds him that I am. I am sent you. The God who has always existed and who will always exist. I'm with you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to use you he says, I'm not eloquent. I love God's response. I made the mouth. I can take care of this. Chapter 4, verse 10. I'm not eloquent. Um, but we don't know why Moses... Is, we, don't, we know that Moses didn't want to speak publicly, and we don't know if he actually had a speech impediment or if he was just living in isolation and was not used to living around people or speaking to people or big groups of people. But he feels weak. He feels exposed. He feels unworthy. I'm going to guess some of you know what that feels like. Maybe even this morning you walked into this building feeling like that. Maybe it's because of a sin struggle. Uh, maybe because you're coming up against something that feels really hard and you don't know the words to speak. Uh, it might be a situation in your family that you so badly want to be able to change and mold and, and, and fix kind of the way you, you want to do it, and yet you also know that you can't. And, and you feel helpless and powerless. Maybe you have something going on in your heart and you wish you didn't feel this way, you wish you weren't tempted this way, and you want to just get rid of it. And you can't. And in the midst of that, God is calling you with the same news that he calls Moses. And that is to direct your gaze on the God who is, who has been, and who always will be, and to place your trust in him. Because God actually, in, a, in his strange calculus, not only can meet us when we are weak, but he actually delights to meet weak people. You know, what does Jesus say about his ministry? I haven't come for the healthy. I haven't come for those who don't need a physician. 
I've come for the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we love that. We love hearing that. We just don't love admitting that. And we don't like living in that. We don't like being dependent. I hate it. Let's just be honest. We, we don't like depending on someone else to deliver us. And yet, that is precisely when God does his most amazing work. When the odds are stacked against his people is actually when God delivers his people. God can redeem someone like Moses. And, and not only meet Moses in his weakness. And not only direct Moses' weakness uh, away from his inability and to God's ability, but he can actually use someone like Moses. He can use someone like you. The good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus can save someone like you, but he also promises to use people like you for his glory and for the good of other people. He delights in doing that. You know, he doesn't say to Moses, oh, shucks, Moses, you know, you're so down on yourself. You're not as bad as you think you are. He never says that. He just constantly invites Moses to look at his goodness. And not only this, he doesn't just say, hey, look at me. Stop looking at yourself, look at me. But he also meets Moses. He also provides for Moses. At the end of the passage in chapter 4, he he says, look, you can tell God's getting frustrated. Look, look, look. Okay, I get it. You don't think you're good enough. I'm, I'm also not going to just meet you and your weakness. I'm going to give you your brother. I know you don't like speaking in front of people. I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to provide for you. Your brother's going to come, and he's going to be delighted to see you. I'm going to use him, and I'm going to use you. When you see your inadequacy... When actually, there's, there's going to be times where all you can see is your inadequacy. Where all you can see is your failure and your shame. And if you haven't felt that, it's likely you will. Sooner or probably rather than later. When you sense that and when you see that crystal clear... The invitation is not to try and run from the all-seeing God, but to come to Him and to meet Him. And what you will find when you come to God with your sin, you will see that He is indeed holy, holy, holy. I wish someone had made that more crystal clear that when I became a Christian, that I will actually begin to see God's holiness more and my sinfulness more. But the other thing that you will see is that God is indeed so holy and so intolerant of sin that he heaped the judgment of sin on a perfectly righteous sacrifice. God is so holy and he's so intolerant of sin that for your sake, he didn't sweep our sin under the rug just like he didn't sweep Moses' weaknesses under the rug. But he dealt with it the only way it could be dealt with. The only way that could actually stay true to God's justice and God's mercy. It was poured out on a perfect substitute in your place and in my place. That's how holy God is. That he deals with our sin, that he might redeem us. 
and use us. And what you will see as you get to know this God is that not only can he redeem you through his perfect son's righteousness, but use you. I love that passage from Paul talking about his weakness. We don't know what's going on in Paul's life. He's writing to Corinthians and he's saying, there's this thorn in my flesh. We don't know if it was an actual physical ailment or if it was just something plaguing him and plaguing his conscience. But he, he writes to him, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, this thorn in my flesh that it should leave me. But he said to me, this was God's response. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul writes, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. You see what Paul's saying is actually, you will never be amazing. I think so often we want to do these amazing, impressive things. Paul's saying, you will never do that. You will never do that until you actually see and taste your weaknesses. Only then will you be able to boast in Christ's righteousness. Only when you're weak will you actually see your need for a Savior and delight in that Savior. That's the the posture of the Christian life. That's what it looks like to be dependent not on our own, but on Christ's righteousness. And the amazing thing is, is that God can use you in those moments. After that graduation dinner, the dean of students came up to that student who said, hey, we're not sure what we're doing. We're moving home. And he said, I've been here almost since the seminary started 25 years before. I've heard a lot of these graduation speeches And he said, I'm more proud of you than any other graduate that's ever stood up to share what's going on in their life. What you did took a lot of courage. That is our worst nightmare. We hate admitting that we're wrong. And yet... God will actually use those moments. And and, and think about it. Think about the ways God's worked in your life and the people he's used in your life. It's not been these perfect, you know, behind closed glass people that you're like, oh my gosh, they're just so awesome. It's probably been people who've been able to testify to Christ's goodness. And, And who are those people that can testify to Christ's goodness? People who've seen the ugliness of their heart and know God's holiness and righteousness And the God who can redeem his people and even use those people. And so the invitation this morning is to come and meet that God. To come as you are, to meet him, to confess to him that you might know him and be used by him and sent out by him. Let's pray to that end. Father, Lord, we thank you uh, that you are a God who is not like us, Father. Uh, Lord, we, we need someone who is not like us. We need a God who is righteous and holy and good. And so, Father, we ask that uh, you would indeed meet us this morning, those of us who are weak uh, and afraid 
and helpless. God, would you direct our gaze to you, the God who has always been, the God who will always be, and might we trust in your goodness and in your righteousness and in your power this morning. We ask all of this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.